0: As parents, you want to have all the answers. We can help with that. Welcome to Boston Children's Answers Kids Health, a podcast brought to you by Boston Children's Hospital. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Arnold. As a neonatologist and mom, I'm always looking to the future of pediatric health care and how to help parents raise happy, healthy kids. Join us as we share tips and answers. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone. And welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, ear infections. So let's start with our parent question.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. My daughter is only six, but she's already had eight ear infections. Is that normal? What can I do to help her?
0: Here to help us with this topic today is Dr. Elliot Shearer. He is an otolaryngologist at the Department of Otolaryngology and Communication Enhancement. Dr. Shear, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: First of all, thanks so much for joining us. And something that I always like to ask our guests is, why did you go into the specialty that you chose? So, how did you decide to become an otolaryngologist?
1: Well, it's great to be here. I just think I have the best job in the world, really, because every day I get to help kids have a better quality of life. So. I help kids with their hearing and their speech and their breathing. It really helps kids connect to the world around them. And I get to do medicine and I get to do surgery too and work with families. So that's why I picked out a laryngology.
0: Wow. You've got a mix of all the best things of medicine, patient and family care, surgery, seeing patients improve something that they're struggling with like hearing, that's really great. I get it. So, you know, we're here today to talk about ear infections, hearing and all of those things that are so important. Both of my kids have grown up needing to see an otolaryngologist for ear infections and in hearing concerns. Can you tell me, and for our audience, since we're talking about ear infections in particular, what exactly is an ear infection? How is it defined?
1: It's a good question because I think there's a lot of confusion around it, honestly. So first of all, you have to think about the ear canal and then the eardrum and then the middle ear space. You can have an ear infection that affects just the ear canal, and that can cause pain and swelling and drainage from the ear, and that's called otitis externa, or sometimes swimmer's ear. Swimmer's ear, yeah. Yeah. I think what most people think of as an ear infection is when you have fluid behind the eardrum, and when that fluid is there, it can become infected either with a virus or a bacteria, and that's called otitis media, or a middle ear infection.
0: So really, the ears are pretty complicated. You could have an infection in one, the other, or both.
1: Exactly. You can have symptoms of, for example, a painful ear, and it's hard to look into kids' ears. And so it can be confusing what's going on. And that's why kids end up seeing me, is to help sort out what's going on, actually.
0: That's really great. And so, what are the signs of an ear infection? Because as a parent, how would I know to come see you?
1: I should say off the bat that most kids that have ear infections, they don't need to see a specialist. You know, primary care physicians manage this the vast majority of the time. But common signs or symptoms of an ear infection in a kid would be a painful ear, would be a fever and drainage from the ear, and then reduced hearing. Sometimes we can see that kids can have imbalance or dizziness associated with it too. Mm.
0: Oh, wow. I'm sure that that is absolutely not very comfortable for a kid and probably depending on the age, really hard for them to communicate. Thinking about your pain, your ache, versus ear infection. Is there a difference? Because, you know, I remember with my kids, they had seemed like pain, but it wasn't always necessarily an infection. Though they may have been trying to pull at their ears or seem more fussy than usual. And I was trying to, you know, determine, is it an ear infection versus just earache?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, again, a lot of what I end up doing is trying to sort out things like ear pain or chronic ear pain that kids may be having. Because there can be other reasons besides an ear infection why you have ear pain. So one really common thing that we see in especially younger kids is when they have teeth coming in. Because some of the nerves that go to the jaw or the teeth, they can go right by the ear and they can cause pain in front of the ear or sometimes inside the ear. You can also have throat pain. It's not uncommon to have a sore throat and then have some of that pain go to the ear as well, especially in kids that can't really communicate well with us, you have to have a really careful exam and take a careful history and try to sort out what's actually going on.
0: Wow. I think you just helped me realize what might have been going on with my daughter for so long because she had a language barrier and couldn't communicate, but she... Complained a lot and got fussy, but then we didn't always find an ear infection. And she had a lot of teeth coming in. She was delayed because of just probably poor nutrition when we brought her home. So, yeah. might have been teeth coming in.
1: Yep. It's not always an ear infection.
0: So, it makes it hard for us as parents, is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> yep.
1: yep. Yep. And ears are hard to look at, too. So, it's hard to look into a kid's ear and It's hard for everybody, you know, not all little kids are really compliant and want us to look in their ears. So it takes work.
0: So true. Yes. And my husband kept saying, why can't you just look and diagnose her ear (laughs) infection? I'm like, no, I'm the mom, not the doctor right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, so can I ask a little bit, too, just to kind of delve further in ear infections? You know, you talked a little bit about the different types, external or more of the middle ear infection. For parents, what are some of the other differences other than where the infection is that we might need to be considering with different types of ear infections?
1: Yeah, the treatment is going to be different if you have an external ear infection or a middle ear infection. Often if you have a swimmer's ear, you'll have a lot of pain and then swelling. We typically treat that with antibiotic drops or drops that have an antibiotic and a steroid to help with the swelling. If you have a middle ear infection, We may treat that with oral antibiotics, but it's less likely that drops will help with that. And again, like you said, sometimes you can have both things going on at the same time. And so, unfortunately, in some cases, we need to do antibiotic drops as well as oral antibiotics.
0: That makes sense. I look at my kids. They have skeletal dysplasia. They have a very narrow eustachian tube and sort of a smaller mid face. And so what we learned is that they're higher risk potentially for ear infections and or just fluid in the ears. So are there certain populations of kids that might be at more of a higher risk for ear infections?
1: Definitely. And first of all, I should say that 80% of kids will have at least one ear infection. It's the second most common reason for pediatric visits to the ER. So it's very common, but there are some groups of kids that may be predisposed to having more ear infections or fluid in their ears just in general. Those would be kids that have any craniofacial differences. Mm -hmm. Like my
0: kids. Exactly.
1: And then there can be other things like cleft lip or palate that may be associated with increased fluid in the ears. And then we do see that it does run in families, so Ah. it's very common for me to hear from parents that they had tons of ear infections when they were kids, and it's probably a combination of some immunology factors that we don't totally understand, but it definitely runs in families.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, I don't think that's something that I really learned back in the day, that there could be a genetic immunologic reason why you might see it more prevalent in some families. Yeah. I know for... Myself as a parent, we've all been through all the treatments and frequent number of ear infections. In general, how long does an individual ear infection typically last?
1: Most ear infections are probably caused by viruses. And so they should last less than a week. Sometimes it takes longer for the fluid to go away. Okay, But an actual ear infection should be less than a week.
0: And so sometimes they can go away on their own then, potentially, right? If they're caused by viruses, the majority of them.
1: Yeah, and the majority do go away on their own. We can talk about reasons that we need to treat or indications for treatment, if you'd like.
0: I think that would be great. Sometimes you go to the pediatrician for an ear infection and they say, you know what, let's hold off on treatment. And then other times they will make decisions and say, hey, let's do antibiotics. Can you share with us a little bit about the difference about when you would want to treat and when you might not need to?
1: Yeah, the thinking about this has really changed over the past decade or so. Before, pretty much... Everyone who had an ear infection got antibiotics. But what they showed was that it didn't really decrease the length of time of the ear infection, probably because a lot of them are because of a virus, and antibiotics helps against bacteria, not against viruses. And so there are specific reasons when you would want to treat an ear infection, and that would be kids that are very young, and so maybe their immune system isn't as developed as other kids. And then if a kid is having very severe symptoms— So really high fever that's not going away, severe ear pain that's not getting better with acetaminophen or ibuprofen, or if they're having drainage from their ear or other just really severe symptoms. In those cases, you're probably going to want to treat with antibiotics. A lot of pediatricians now will actually do a wait-and-see approach where they'll actually give you a prescription for the antibiotic and have you hold on to it and see if your child is getting better without the antibiotic. And if they're not, then you can start. antibiotic
0: i mean that makes so much sense we don't treat colds and other viral infections of the upper respiratory tract we don't need to treat all of the ear infections if they're caused by viruses as well and that is a big change i think since since i was a resident back in the day
1: yeah well (laughs) there are some downsides of antibiotics too from the perspective it can make kids sick with things like diarrhea and then they can have uh, allergic reactions to them sometimes. So there are some adverse effects of antibiotics.
0: And plus, especially if they're not gonna do anything in a more mild case or a viral case, it just becomes a struggle for the parents to have to get their kid to take the antibiotic too. Exactly,
1: I do not like trying to get my kids to take medicine either, so.
0: Yeah, not fun. Try to avoid it if possible. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so obviously as a parent, we wanna avoid getting ear infections. We don't want it to prolong, pain and other complications, what can parents do, if anything, to help decrease the risk of getting ear infections for our kids?
1: So definitely reducing environmental contributors to ear infections. So things like smoking in the home, having allergies, environmental allergies, like to pollen, things like that, trying to reduce exposures to those sort of things can help.
0: Almost like some of the preventatives for asthma or other ENT and respiratory-type ailments, trying to limit your exposure.
1: Exactly. There's something called the unified airway theory, where everything from your mouth and your nose all the way down to the base of your lungs, it's all one connected system.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Got to take care of it. Yep. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So my kids had quite a number of ear infections, and they also were found to have chronic fluid, even in between infections. When is it considered to be a chronic condition for a child who has multiple ear infections?
1: If a child has had fluid in their ears for three months, then at that point it's considered chronic. Those are kids to pay special attention to because anytime you have fluid in your ear, you're going to have some hearing loss. It's kind of like you're underwater. Yeah. Especially as kids are learning language and speech and developing very quickly, we want to make sure that they have access to sound in their environment in the best way possible.
0: Again, I'm so excited to uh, hopefully bring my kids in to see you soon because when we brought Will home from China, he had, we think, chronic fluid and we had his hearing tested and it turned out to be due to the fluid hearing loss. And they said it was like he was hearing all of us underwater. So it was no surprise that he was having difficulty with language development. He didn't speak much Mandarin or English when we brought him
1: home. It was thought for a long time that only children that had more severe to profound hearing loss really had difficulties with developing speech and language. But there's been a lot of research recently that has shown more mild to moderate hearing loss, which may be associated with chronic ear fluid, can cause developmental difficulties with language.
0: Wow. So it's really important to get that addressed then early on if you suspect that your child may either have chronic fluid or have frequent number of infections.
1: Yeah, we do think there's some overlap where some children who have chronic fluid in their ears, they'll have repeated ear infections over and over again just because the fluid is sitting there. Some kids will have repeated ear infections or recurrent acute otitis media, but they'll clear the fluid each time. Ah. So there's some overlap between the two. But we just want to make sure that any child that has a hearing loss will have that addressed so that they can have best access to the environment around them.
0: Wow. And so it just becomes a cycle really. Exactly. And that is obviously something we want to keep an eye out for.
1: Exactly.
0: So thinking about prevention, what about for the otitis externa or swimmer's ear? Are there things that parents can do to help prevent that? For example, my kids spend a lot of time in the pool. Do earplugs make a difference?
1: That's a great question. I would say that it depends on the kid and it depends on where you're swimming. (laughs) So (laughs) some people and some kids tend to be predisposed to getting swimmer's ear. It might be how their ear canal is shaped. They may have some water in their ears that stays there. Really, we don't want water to be sitting in the ear canal because then it can get infected. Yeah. So some kids who are predisposed to getting swimmer's ear will wear earplugs. What I would say is probably the best most effective prevention is making sure that ear is really dry after you get out of the, the pool or lake or ocean. We have a lot of families who they'll use a blow dryer, a hair dryer, just on the cool setting for about a minute on each side just to get rid of all the water that's in the ear canal.
0: That's kind of a cool tip that I never tried with my kids, but I might have to give it a try. Now, I grew up in Florida and we don't swim in fresh water there because there's a lot of. Very dangerous bacteria. (laughs)
1: There's other things in the freshwater in Florida too, right? (laughs) Yes.
0: Alligators, snakes, all of that. But up here, it seems like, I mean, my kids for the first time went swimming in a lake and I was a little petrified, but they assured me it's different in the North. You were looking
1: for the alligators. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: was. (laughs) When it comes to that child that has chronic otitis media, chronic fluid in the ears or both, what are some of the treatments that parents should be talking to their doctor about?
1: We should talk about tympanostomy tubes. And actually, it's the most common procedure done in the United States on children. It's very, very common. You may know some people who've had tympanostomy tubes.
0: My children, yes. (laughs)
1: Um, So the guidelines for ear tubes or tympanostomy tubes are that if a child has had three ear infections in six months or four in a year, or they've had fluid in their ears for three months or more, that you should think about whether you should place tympanostomy tubes. So it doesn't mean that you have to do it, okay? but it means you should think about it. And the reason those guidelines exist is because if you've had that many ear infections in a row, probably you're going to be having more. And so putting the tubes in would reduce the risk of further ear infections. And then if you've had fluid in your ears for that long, it's unlikely to go away on its own. And we're really doing the tympanostomy tubes in that case to make sure that the hearing is as good as it can be.
0: You know, as I mentioned, both of my kids have ear tubes. And when we brought our son home from China, it was interesting. There, they recognized that he had chronic fluid and probably ear infections. What we were told is they don't really believe in putting ear tubes in. And so they just would drain the ear surgically and then send him home. But my understanding is the tympanic membrane closes up pretty quickly. And then he built up fluid again and had pretty significant hearing challenges from that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty common in other parts of the world for people to do what's called a myringotomy, which is an incision of the eardrum and, and then to drain the fluid. And I do that sometimes in very rare cases. Okay. But like you said, the eardrum really heals up fast within a few days. And so oftentimes the fluid will reaccumulate. And so the whole purpose of the tympanosomy tube is to keep the eardrum open. And most tubes that we put in are supposed to stay in between 6 to 12 months and then the body just kind of pushes them out and then the eardrum heals back up again.
0: Oh, that's great. Again, for my kids, we've been through a couple of placements because the tubes have fallen out. What are some warning signs for parents to know that maybe the tube has fallen out? What should we look for?
1: Well, first of all, There's many different types of tubes, right? And I pick the tube based on the child. And the standard one is supposed to stay in between 6 and 12 months. When I take care of children with ear tubes, I see them until the tube comes out all the way because I want to make sure that the hole in the eardrum closes up on its own. The tubes are so small that most parents won't see them at all. They may be in some earwax. The kid could have some drainage from their ears when the tube is working its way out. And typically, we would treat that with antibiotic eardrops if they're having some drainage. Okay. There are some longer-acting tubes that can stay in up to several years, and we'll use that in specific cases when maybe we've done one or two sets of tubes already. Okay. 90% or more of kids that we put tympanostomy tubes in, they only need one set of
0: tubes. Okay.
1: It's the minority where we have to do multiple sets or the longer-acting sets of tubes.
0: And mine might be in that minority, yeah, exactly. so I'm coming to see you soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I guess when it comes to ear infections and potential need for tubes, what I understood it to be important for my kids, at least, was related to hearing. Really, that was sort of one of our number one motivators, because while they had an occasional ear infection, it wasn't as bad as the chronic fluid seemed to be. And so if we don't treat either chronic ear infections or chronic fluid in the ear, Can children experience permanent hearing loss?
1: Yeah. So like we talked about before, any kid that has fluid in their ear, they're going to feel like they're underwater. There can be some complications associated with having fluid in your ears or having acute otitis media or an ear infection. And I should tell you that these are really rare, first of all, because like we talked about, ear infections are very common. Another possible complication is weakness or inflammation of the facial nerve, which controls facial movement on one side of your face. And then there can be really severe complications of intracranial or an infection that goes inside the brain. Again, that's very, very rare.
0: But a good reason why if you're having chronic infections to make sure that you're seeking help to make sure you don't need to be treated with antibiotics or bilateral ear tubes. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, What's on the horizon next for hearing and just ear health in general? Obviously, here at Boston Children's, we do a lot of great research. So I was wondering if you know of any ongoing or future research in this area.
1: There's been work for years on trying to figure out why some kids get ear infections and other kids do not. It's probably a combination, like most things, of our genes and then our environment, too, we're part of a multi-center clinical study here where we're studying what's called the microbiome of the middle ear. And when a child's under anesthesia for ear tubes, we'll take a sample of the fluid in the middle ear and then we'll check for the bacteria that are growing there.
0: Wow, that's really neat. So in addition to that research that's going on at Boston Children's, can you tell us a little bit more about your lab and the work that you're doing related to hearing loss?
1: Sure. Thanks for asking. So I spent a good part of my time actually in the lab doing research on genetic hearing loss. So that's permanent hearing loss, so not necessarily ear infections, but specifically working to improve our ability to diagnose and take care of children who have permanent hearing loss due to a genetic cause.
0: So important. If anyone out there is dealing with hearing loss, what would you recommend that they do to seek help? Because it's a little different than your infections we've talked about, but depending on where you live in the country, what should families do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the biggest predictor of whether a child actually has hearing loss or not is family concern for hearing loss. And so if there's a parent or a sibling or someone's concerned that a child has hearing loss, you should definitely get that checked out by either going to the pediatrician to get the hearing screened or going to see an otolaryngologist
0: to have a formal evaluation. Yeah. Exactly. That's really important. And I think it's easy as a parent to sort of say, oh, you know, maybe it's selective hearing loss, you know, when you're thinking about your kids hearing you. But I think one of the things that I've heard you say is parents are the best predictors, right, of a child who may have a hearing
1: challenge. Exactly. And I know from my own kids that every child goes through periods of selective hearing. And sometimes it's a little hard to differentiate that. Yes. It's so important to keep track of where our kids are and, making sure that their speech and language is developing appropriately. If you have any concerns about that as well, that may be related to hearing.
0: Thinking about your focus on hearing loss and relating it to a little bit of my own personal experience with my kids, I have found that it takes a whole team to care for your a child who has issues from an ENT perspective, whether that's infections and/or hearing loss, and then speech challenges from that. You know, for my kids, we had speech therapy and otolaryngology and audiology, and so I was just wondering if you could comment a little bit for our listeners about how a whole team can be important for caring for kids in this area.
1: The most important thing is to think about the child as a whole, right? So if I have a child in clinic that I'm seeing that may have other needs or other difficulties, it may change how I think about the fluid in their ears. And kids that may not have other difficulties, we may say, hey, let's wait six months instead of the typical three months. But if there's other developmental things going on or there's already a delay in speech and language acquisition, then we may wanna be a little bit more aggressive in thinking about when to put in tubes, for instance. So you definitely have to think about how the child is doing overall with their development.
0: Well, yeah, for me, it was a little bit of an eye-opener as a new parent, even though I am a neonatologist, I wasn't in tuned into this specialty, but there's a lot of different things to think about when you're focusing on the ears. It's not just the ears. Yeah, it's
1: not just the ears. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: so important. (laughs) So my final question is always to ask our expert, if there's anything that we haven't talked about that you wanna make sure we share with our audience today.
1: I think we covered everything.
0: Excellent. I think we talked a lot. We talked about hearing loss and ear infections and treatments and prevention. And I really think it's gonna be helpful to our families because like you said, 80% of our kids have ear infections. Yeah. So thank you.
1: <laughs> of course.
0: Now onto doctor's orders. This is the part of the show where we prescribe an action that parents can take today to help them raise healthy kids. So Dr. Shearer, I think you had some thoughts that you wanted to share with our parents.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So I think that children's hearing health is really important. And one way we can make sure to stay on top of things is by getting hearing screening done at our child's annual physical appointment with our pediatricians. So at your next physical exam for your child, just ask the pediatrician if they've done the hearing screening.
0: That's really great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Boston Children's Answers Kids' Health. And thank you so much to our guest parent, Ben, and of course to our guest expert today, Dr. Elliot Shearer. I must say it's been a really great learning adventure for myself as a parent and as a physician. So hope you'll follow us and tune in to the next episode of Boston Children's Answers Kids' Health.